Welcome to the very first live stream of the Alaska Realtor YouTube channel. My name is Jamin Gurker. I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska, and my mission, as I'm sure you all are aware of, is to help you to build intentional and significant legacies for yourself and your families by coaching you in real estate. And today, uh, we're going to be going into quite a few topics. Um, myself and Jill, who is you know, a mother who recently moved up here with her kids, uh, we're going to be going over a number of questions such as what's the best place in Alaska for you to live? You know, what's what does it look like up here if you are a parent and, you know, kind of the, what, what are the schools like? What are the after school programs like? What's like for shopping up here? And we'll also be discussing the, the rental market, the housing market and making the special announcement at the very end here. Before we get started, though, um, these live streams are only as good as you guys make it. So we're going to be giving you plenty of opportunities to, to ask questions and to really get those answers from us directly. Um, Jill's going to be a couple more minutes here. She's actually out moose hunting right this minute. So uh, really jumping right into the uh, into the whole Alaska scene up here with both feet. Um, but yeah, that uh, does mean the internet connection can sometimes be a little spotty. So I'll go ahead and get us started. Um, and uh, we'll go ahead and just catch up with Jill once she is able to get through here. And like I said, do make sure that you post those questions um, down below as we're going through each one of these sections, just so we can get those answered directly and have them featured on here as well. But yeah, let's go ahead and jump right into it then. So first thing we're talking about is kind of the pros and cons of the different areas that we're looking at. Now, there's going to be a lot of pros and cons. It's really going to depend on kind of who you are as a person as to what's going to be considered a pro and what's going to be considered a con. For instance, um, a lot of people who are, you know, living in, let's just say, let's just say Wasilla, um, Willow, those areas, um, not having a whole lot of stuff to do around there is actually going to be a, a pretty big pro for them. Um, other people, that's going to be an enormous con. So it's kind of hard to, to say exactly what's going to be a pro, what's going to be a con. But I'll kind of give you kind of a list of the, the stuff that's a pro and a con for the main area, the main stuff here in the area. So we'll look first at Anchorage, then Eagle River, and we'll look at the Matsu Valley as well and kind of talk about the pros and cons there. Um, for each one of these areas, you know, do make sure that you post any questions you have down below and we can get those answered for you here and now. So the first one is going to be um, first area we're looking at is obviously Anchorage. The biggest pro of Anchorage is you're going to have a lot of job opportunities here and you're going to have a lot more accessibility to a lot of the, the regular grocery shopping and just shopping in general that than you're gonna have in other parts of the state. Majority of the state does live here in Anchorage. And so for that reason, it is pretty popular. And you know, you're gonna see a lot of people, even if they don't live in Anchorage, they certainly do work in Anchorage. So, you know, that's that's one of the big draws of Anchorage. Another big draw for Anchorage is if you're looking to travel somewhere, it's gonna be a lot closer. And so that's another big draw as well. Now, some of the cons of Anchorage is it's going to be a city and that has all the all the pros and all the cons right there for you. So you're going to have traffic. So not as much as what you would have in other cities. Um, for instance, I recently did a trip down to Miami and I swear I came away with PTSD from trying to drive in the traffic down there. 
Um, Anchorage is nowhere near that, but if Alaska has any kind of issue with traffic, then you know that's that's certainly going to be the area that that it exists in. Uh, another big issue in Anchorage, and I'm sure everyone has seen all the headlines. There's obviously going to be a higher crime rate in Anchorage than than in other parts of the country. So the one thing I would point out on this, you know, you really want to make sure you do your own due diligence. You do your own homework for each one of the areas you decide to move into and make sure that you're looking at the crime maps, making sure that you're really comfortable with whatever that area has to offer. And, you know, that's going to be your, your best, uh, that's going to be your best bet there. One thing to also keep in mind is crime rate is not the same num- same thing as the same rate or same number of crimes. So <clears throat> different way of looking at it is Anchorage and Alaska in general is <clears throat> extremely small when we're looking at the size of states. So there's only about 60 odd thousand people who live here. I think it's 630,000. Please nobody roast me in the comment section. Um, if, uh, if that's incorrect, I think it's right around 630,000 last time I checked though. And what this means is any amount of crime, we're going to, you know, we're going to feel it just because it's such a small sample size. So that's, that's number one. Number two is you also have to look at um, the area in which a lot of the crime is going to be concentrated or areas, I should say, um, if you're really wanting to just avoid all of that, then certainly go look at the crime maps and just figure out where the least amount of crimes are being committed. So that's what I would say about that. Um, Let me look at the comment section real quick here, or the chat section, and see what questions you have that I can answer for you. All right, let's see. Let me go ahead and pull this up here from inept. Could you impart some education regarding first-time homebuyer programs and what Alaska offers as far as they go? So if we're looking at first-time homebuyer programs, you know, we do have a lot of those with Alaska housing. And if you work with, you know, any realtor who kind of has a, a business based upon kind of educating buyers and, and really making sure that you're prepared for making that big decision, they're going to be able to get you prepared for that. Um, let me see what else here. <laughs> uh, yes, Stan, 100% agree. Holy cows. I did not expect it to be that bad. Drastically overestimated my uh, my traffic driving abilities going into that. All right. Let me see. <laughs> uh, I do not doubt that. So Roger Bettencourt, Anchorage population, population is less than the county I live in outside of the Houston area. So... <clears throat> Yep, that is, uh, I do not doubt that even a little bit. <laughs> so not a whole lot going on as far as the population goes. And let me go and answer this one real quick from Oliver Wright. Does Prince of Wales Island have hot springs? I know it has caves. You know, I'm not so sure about Prince Prince of Wales. Is that Prince of Wales? Yeah, Prince of Wales Island. Um, I'm not too sure about that because once we start moving out of kind of the South Central Alaska area, I do have a, a pretty good sense for you know, what South Central is, obviously. But as far as Prince of Wales going more to, I'm going to call it more islandy, the more southeast part of part of the state, uh, my information starts getting a little little um, a little bit more scraggly. You know, not quite as as um, as um, well thought out and. Uh, 
not quite as uh, in-depth as it is with other places. All right, let's see here. I really like that question. Let me jump on this one real quick. So from Imagine Horizons Travel and Exploration, what's the most difficult thing to get used to when arriving, when moving to Alaska besides the weather? You know, that's a great question. And for those of you who are currently living here, feel free to, to drop your thoughts in down below. Um, I think really the biggest thing to that's really a big change when you're moving up here is there's less people. And I mean, I know everyone's like, man, that sounds awesome. I'm going to get away from, from everybody. Um, but there's going to be less people. There's going to be a little less to do. So if you're someone who needs to have stuff around you to keep yourself entertained, the sea worlds, the you know, all this other stuff that's going on. Um, it might be a bit of a struggle when you're first getting started. So, you know, that's definitely one thing to, to keep in mind. The other thing is the seasonal changes. So it gets dark during the wintertime. No surprise. Everyone's heard that in South Central Alaska. It's not nearly to the extent as what we see in, in um, other, what we see in other parts of the of the state state i'm looking primarily at fairbanks and a little further than that over in barrow um i um, actually went and visited barrow just a little bit ago it was september and still you know we still had light about 10 30 at night um, meanwhile you know obviously sun's going down a lot earlier than that in south central so lots of variety on the sunlight but long way to say yes um, the seasonal change is going to be a big one you don't really know how the lack of sunlight is going to impact you until you actually get here and live through it um, i kind of shared this before i kind of definitely do struggle with a little seasonal depression during the winter time and it's something you can you can definitely work through um, if you do have to lean into community really hard you have to make sure that you're staying on top of your, your regular patterns and really i want to emphasize this that you don't let yourself self-isolate during the winter time that's that's a really big one um, other than that it's really going to depend where you're coming from if you're just used to an area where you can just go anywhere like you're in colorado and i can pop down to texas i can go to you know i can go to florida i can go to all these places really really quickly um, alaska might feel a little isolating so that's one of the the biggest biggest challenges I've seen for people who are moving up here. All right, let me take a couple more questions here. <laughs> yeah, let me do a couple more questions here and we'll go ahead and move on to kind of the pros and cons of, um, of Wasilla and kind of the, or I'm sorry, of Eagle River, I should say. So from Steve K, what is a good resource to learn about property taxes in Alaska? They seem to be exceptionally high, even considering no income or sales tax. So I, that's a great question. So there are going to be resources online where you can go and find out the, the specific tax value of a property. And one thing I want to make sure up front is we understand that tax, the assessed value and the market value of the property in Alaska, two completely separate things. Okay, because Alaska is a non-disclosure state and we don't make what you sold the property for available to the tax assessor to let them determine the value of your property. And the reason this is important is because you might be getting a higher tax rate, but instead of them charging you, let's just say $400,000 you paid for, they might only be charging you for like three fifty. dollars So that's, that's where 
that's where it's pretty important. And also when you do eventually buy property up here, this is where it's really important that you don't go and share with a tax man how much you actually paid for the property. They'll send you a couple letters, they'll sound super official, um, but they are not. And you know what? Looks like we have got Jill here. We're gonna see if we can add her here. Um, internet's a little choppy, so bear with us. All right, can you hear me, Jill? I can. I'm so sorry. For some reason, like I had internet service up until the moment I was supposed to have internet service. And then it was gone. <laughs> of course. Of course. How's hunting? Did you guys catch anything yet? That's just how... No. And that's why we're still here. Like I thought we'd be back by like Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday. And we are still here looking for moose. It's the longest camping trip I've ever been on. Yeah, I mean, hunting is really just camping with a gun. That's all it is. It really is. And so now I'm like just hanging out in the truck in the middle of nowhere. I still couldn't get my internet to work. So I had to like hotspot to somebody else's yeah. Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sounds like we got lucky then. So yeah. We're just kind of going. Yeah. So we're kind of just going through the pros and cons of different different areas right at the moment. So okay. uh, let's let's go ahead and switch gears. Let's talk about the Matsu Valley. So okay. uh, you've lived down here in the Matsu Valley actually longer than I have. I recently moved out yeah. here. Um, so I guess for you, what have, what's kind of been some of the pros and cons for you? Okay. So the pros, like when I moved here, I honestly thought I was moving into a smaller community. Um, you know, I you can't really tell how big something is based on a map and the numbers didn't make sense to me. So I honestly thought I was moving into a way smaller community. Um, but now that I'm here, I'm actually glad that it's not. So I feel like the pros of being in the Matsu Valley are there is a Target, there's Walmart, there's Fred Meyer grocery store. I mean, it's got a lot of things that you would need. Um, the cons, I guess... If you're looking for something like way smaller, um, that would be the biggest con is honestly, it's really not a teeny, teeny, tiny little community. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good size area. Yeah. Cause I mean, the thing about like the Matsu Valley and then Wasilla in particular uh -huh. is you've got yes walkable proper and then you've got everything kind of out on the outskirts just yes side of it and i mean we've got you know, we've got cars we've got fred meyers you know, we've got walmart right down the road so mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's kind of like having a smaller community but it's just with more yeah. amenities i guess you can yeah, say yeah with more amenities i mean i think I've been in Alaska for about a year and a half now, so this doesn't bother me as much as it used to. But when I first moved here, the lack of like restaurants kind of bothered me. And that tells you a lot about me. You know, I like food. Now it doesn't bother me. You know, there's I still have my favorites that I go to occasionally, but it's not a big deal anymore. You know, I cook more and eat more at home. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So kind of talked a little bit about the cons then. Um, let's go and talk a little bit about Eagle River. Have you spent a whole lot of time in Eagle River or been in that area? 
Yes and no. I mean, the first week I was ever in Alaska, we were living in a hotel in Eagle River. So that is my extent of living there. But I actually like Eagle River. You know, I think the pros of Eagle River are if you want to be closer to Anchorage and closer to a bigger city that has shopping malls and shopping centers and more restaurants and food and nightlife and things like that. Eagle River is a really good option because, you know, it's it's not that far out of Anchorage. Um, and it's it's still a smaller community. It's more of the suburbs. It's it's a nice location. I think for me, the biggest con is um, is kind of the home prices in that area. You don't get as much property and you're going to pay a little bit more to live there. Um, I'm not sure about property taxes and things like that. I don't even know if Eagle River has a tax, um, like sales tax or anything like that. But I, I do I do like the area, but it is a little bit more pricey to live there. Yeah, that, that really is the way it goes in Eagle River. And we'll kind of mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the, the average sold price in Eagle River. Um, but the reason that it's so popular is because it's a really easy 15, 20 minute commute away from kind of main, you know, Anchorage proper. And it is. You still, have the, you still have the Eagle River Nature Center right down the road with just beautiful, picturesque. Um, scenery down that way. You've got Crow Pass, you've got Baldy, you've got um, Eagle River, the actual river. You can go float. And then you've got a lot of stuff kind of geared more towards families in that in that community as well. And you've got a, a couple of festivals and stuff, but um, only about 34,000 people live there. And part of that has to do with just the limited geography of the, of that area. Um, but some of the some of the cons are for Eagle River. I'm trying to think here. It can get kind of cold in some places as you start getting a, a little bit lower, closer to the river. Um, so during the wintertime, yeah. utilities are going to be a little bit higher, um, just in certain areas, depending on how much weathering weatherizing you've done on the property. Uh, let's see some other cons. Of I think, sorry to jump in. I think now that you're mentioning the weather in that area, some of the cons, it is more on like the mountain benches. And I think um, as far as driving in the winter goes, the roads there are way icier. Like they really are. And I honestly feel like living in a lot of the areas in Eagle River, you probably wouldn't want to have just like a two-wheel drive truck or even a front-wheel drive sedan or anything like that as your primary driver. I feel like there might be times when you wish you had all-wheel drive or even four-wheel drive for some of those steeper locations. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. I, um, I actually drove the Honda, Honda Civic Hybrid for years in Eagle River. Um, just two-wheel drive. It's doable, but... Man, I can I see to, you're a better driver than me. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I had to pick my battles very, very carefully. Like it was it was more of like a chess match every day deciding where I was going. And yeah, full disclosure, I didn't win every match. <laughs> All yeah. right. So let's so that's Eagle River then. Um one of the nice things about it too is Eagle River really is kind of the envious or Anchorage as far as 
as far as clearing out all the snow as soon as it snows. Um, and there's mm -hmm. kind of a plan that goes with that too, though. Um, so they will usually have all the roads cleared from the night prior to where it snowed, but everyone's going to have this snow berm right in front of their driveway. For those of you who aren't aware, a snow sure. berm is just a big pile of snow that you know the truck is going through. It's pushing all the snow to the side, and your your driveway is going to be blocked. So. For most people, they're like, man, I'll take that because Anchorage, they don't get their stuff really plowed for about a day, two days, uh, some places like three or four days. And it's just a mess. So even yeah. River is really nice for that, too. All right, let's go ahead and take a couple questions real quick here. And we'll go ahead and jump into a little bit more of your expertise, talking about what it's like um, having a family up here. All right, there we go. So from Alicia, for those in the tech world, how reliable is or what is the access like to high-speed internet service for remote work in areas like Wasilla? Uh, let's see, Jill, you wanna take this one? Yeah, I think the biggest difference for me was um, I came from a larger city in Utah um, that the city, actually offered high-speed internet and i was paying about 40 dollars a month for unlimited high speed and i was like this is awesome i love it and then moving to wasilla i am now on unlimited high-speed internet and i pay about 180 dollars a month does it still work absolutely like i'm very connected i had issues today because i'm literally in the middle of nowhere but even at that i still have cell phone service but being in wasilla no problems. I'm connected to high-speed internet. Um, I've never had my my service go down or anything like that. I've never had streaming issues, but it is a lot more expensive than what I was used to paying. Um, I think that's probably the other thing uh, with internet up here. I really feel in the Valley, you have two options. It's either company A or company B, and you're going to pay about the same for both. Yeah, so I mean, if you want to be option C, like the, you know, we're all ears people. You want to be option C. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I know, and none of those are satellite internet. I mean, they are, I, I think I'm now on fiber internet where I'm at. So, I mean, it's got really good streaming. I don't have any complaints except for, I've, I don't do a lot of internet stuff and I don't watch a lot of TV, but my family does. So. I pay for it. Uh, get a couple kids. Yeah, they'll they'll eat that internet right up. Yes, they do. All right, let's see. Next question is from Thomas Minder. What's the best place to live uh, live in if my wife is in education and I am in the uti utilities industry? A natural, um, natural gas pipeline, it's harder for us to secure jobs without already living in Alaska. So the best place if you're just trying to get your foot in the door is probably going to be in Anchorage. Um, what a lot of people will do is they'll live in Wasilla or they'll live in Palmer. They'll live somewhere in the Matsu Valley where the, the cost of housing is cheaper, but they'll commute into Anchorage where the, the wages and the job opportunities are more plentiful. Um, kind of the good thing about Anchorage as well, it is the, the largest population center. And so your opportunities are going to be much better over there than what you might find elsewhere. Now, if we're talking about the education systems in each one of the, the areas, you know, that's 
something I'm sure Jill will be able to talk a little bit about tonight. Mm -hmm. I work with the Anchorage School District a little bit. Um, it's been a little while, so it's, and I mean, I was at a very, very entry, entry level, so I um, didn't get a whole lot of perspective. I didn't really work in the Maxi Valley either, so it's, it's hard to, hard to draw a comparison, really. <laughs> but, be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, Jamin. I feel like there's probably a lot of opportunities in the Anchorage area. I feel like educators are needed everywhere. I don't think that your wife would have a hard time finding employment. And the utilities industry is, it's also like an in-demand job. I, my experience when I moved up here, I had a job. I'm in the healthcare field, so it was really easy for me to find work. My husband was, um, he was more of a blue collar worker and he found it a little more difficult finding employment one before we lived here and had an Alaskan address and two he had heard from numerous people like if you don't have an Alaska phone number a lot of places won't won't really call you I don't know how true that is I don't know if that's just the bias that he thought he experienced um or how true that really was um but that was his experience I feel like he claims he had way more job opportunities once he had an Alaskan address and an Alaskan area code. But I think for those in-demand jobs like education and I was healthcare, I don't, I feel like nobody really cared. They were just happy for the help. Yeah. They'll, they'll come looking for you in those industries. Yeah. Like you don't have to worry about that. But if you have any kind of like hard skill, like utilities or mm -hmm. stuff like that, working with HVACs, you're probably going to be in pretty high demand too. You just have to really be able to speak to kind of the fear and the concern, the hesitancy that a hiring manager might have with hiring somebody out of state mm -hmm. um, because they've been burned before with yes. people out of state and then they get here and the first snowfall happens and they're like, oh, this isn't for me, peace. And they just put months and months worth of training into this person that's gone. So 100%. So you know. that's, that's where their hesitancy is coming from. Um, kind of the best thing you can do is just get your foot in the door, get yourself established up here, and then go find the dream job. Just get something to get started, though. And that's the other thing. I, I think, Jamin, a lot of people move up here not really anticipating how different it is. I mean, it's a beautiful place. It really is. And the winter... I mean, it's winter, but it, it's not bothersome. But for a lot of people, it really is. And it can be isolating at times because, you know, you really are thousands of miles away from the lower 48. It's not a simple car ride to go home on holidays and weekends, you know. And I think all of that combined, you know, sometimes people think that they can move up here and that they're going to love it. But once they get here, they realize that that it, there are some unique challenges to being here. No, no, 100%. 100%. All right. I'm just going to read this real quick just because it made me laugh. But heavy traffic with Anchorage is relevant to the rest of Alaska, not the lower 48. Anchorage traffic is a joke compared to Honolulu, where I'm from. Such a relief. Yep. I would have to agree with that. Uh, let's see from Thomas again, is cost of living comparable to the lower 48? So 
Um, I'm actually going to be bringing an economist on in um, you know, a couple of weeks here for the live stream. Well, probably for a podcast with the economist, but um, actually Alaska, the cost of living index is about 38% above the average cost of living. And I think the majority of where that additional cost comes from is with food, just because it costs that much more to ship stuff up here. So yeah, um, yeah that's, that's really where most of the expense is going to be coming from. And I can add really quickly, like, I didn't feel that it was a huge increase in price in food. Yes, it is. But on the flip side, I feel like I take home so much more of my paycheck because I'm not paying state income tax and I'm not taxed on everything. I mean, Wasilla City itself, I think they only have like, what, Jamin, like two or three percent sales tax on on grocery items. And that's only in the city, not everywhere in the Matsu Valley. So I know that Palmer might be a little bit different as well. But to be honest, I feel like I take home much more of my paycheck than when I was living in Utah. Um, so yes, you do pay a little bit more, but you're not as heavily taxed here as you are in other areas. So yeah, I feel like it kind of levels out. Yeah, and that's a really good point. And, you know, also something that offsets it is the PFD, which you know, this year it's about $3,200 a person. The last time I heard, so, you know, if you've um, got a large family, you do the math. But yeah. I always tell people, hey, let's let's not make plans based on the PFD being a certain amount every year. The PFD should just be a nice little bonus for you. And, Keep it at that. Um, people get in trouble when they make their entire plans based on the PFD being a certain amount, and politics and Juno don't allow that to happen. So, yeah. all right, real quick here from Mr. Roger: Is the road is the icy roads connected to the winds? Um, you know, I I don't think so. No, um, we do I don't get more think so winds. either. Yeah, we do get more winds in the Matsu Valley, like famously so last January. Um, had a um, hurricane force winds going through the Matsu Valley in Wasilla. So, I mean, you were there at that time. What was that like? <laughs> um, it was interesting because, and this is just me not even thinking about these ty types of things. I live in an area in Wasilla. It's actually unincorporated. So I'm clear out on the Kinnick Goose Bay Road. Um, the wind does not get bad out there, but there were some gusty winds. I know that at the time of those winds, my power did go out and this is the silly part. You know, the power went out. I'm on a well, I didn't even have any water. And that thought didn't even occur to me before the power was out. Um, but I only had the power out, I think for a few hours, I actually went and stayed at some friend's house and it was quite windy, but they had never lost power at their house. Like it would flicker, but it wasn't bad. But it was quite windy. That was crazy. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, I have lots of friends and uh, family that live lived here in Wasilla before I got here. And here's the crazy thing. I was in Eagle River at the time. I did not even realize all that was going on until like you started seeing all the memes popping up like that's how i knew stuff was happening yeah. <laughs> i mean businesses were destroyed um signs going down roofs coming off there are definitely windier 
portions of the valley, like I said, where I'm at in, in Wasilla, it's generally not windy. We did have a couple of days that it was, it was pretty bad during that storm. Um, I love Palmer, but I feel like Palmer is always quite breezy and gusty, but they're also out farther in the valley, not close to the mountains. Yeah, well, they're also closer to the glacier, and that's that's okay. really the big thing that makes the difference in the topography for the area. Because, I mean, I've gone done some camping along the, the uh -huh. Jim uh, Jim Bean Jim Creek. I think it's Jim yeah. Creek Trail. Jim Creek. Um, yeah. First off, would not recommend it for camping. Dear Lord, um, it's out there with a little tent with all the guys in the ATVs just blasting past me. So that was stupid. Yeah, all night. Don't do that. Um, but I could definitely tell in the morning and in the evening time with the, the winds coming to and from the glacier. So it really does make a big difference. But let's go ahead and and kind of switch gears real quick and kind of talk about your experience with having um, kids and you know, with having kids here in the area then. So I know this is something a lot of people ask me about, you know, what's the, the schools, what are the schools like, what's the child care like, the shopping. Um, what has been your experience so far with being a parent who's made the move to Alaska? So my experience, I honestly, I didn't find a huge difference. I think that you have to be willing to do outdoor outside things with your kids you're willing to explore i mean there aren't a lot of museums and sea life centers and all of that stuff if you're used to coming from like a large urban area you know it's a lot smaller here but i feel like there's so much to do if you're willing to get outside and brave the weather like that's the other thing that's different and I laugh about Alaskans, they don't let the rain stop them. You know, where I'm from, if you have an outdoor activity planned and it's raining, you you cancel and you plan it for a different day. Not in Alaska. You know, you just work right through the rain, just make sure you have rain gear. Um, so as far as parenting goes, um, my kids are a little bit older. I've got a 10-year-old and a 14-year-old. And... So when we do back to school shopping, it's a lot of Target. Um, Fred Myers has some fun, nice clothes. Um, but for my 14-year-old, she's starting to get more into the trendy things. Bless her heart. So we did do a lot of heading into Anchorage to shop at more of the malls and, and the trendier stores. It's not a big deal as long as you plan for it. You know, it's just about an hour drive. Gotcha. So I guess one of the big questions I would have then, um, how much in like groceries would you say you guys pay for? Because there's like an entire like YouTube channels out there devoted to people just walking around grocery stores. So you have kind of a general idea for how much you'll, you guys will spend on groceries for a month? For probably a month, um, three to four people, we probably spent a thousand dollars, but like I said, I have, my kids love food. And I think a lot of the problem was I work a seven day on seven day off schedule. So on my seven days off, they're kind of bored. And I think it was more like, what is there to eat? Because there's nothing else to do. Um, I think that would probably significantly be less if it was 
like now that it's during the during the uh, school year, it is less now that they're not home eating nonstop all day. Um, but I would say probably still, you know, eight eight hundred to a thousand dollars for a family of four if you're, you know, making a budget and cooking at home. Um, the other wonderful thing about Alaska, though, that I've been able to do this year, that's why I'm out moose hunting now so that we can supplement some of our proteins with, with wildlife. Um, we also did the halibut fishing and was able to put over a hundred pounds of halibut in the freezer for this year. So that really helps offset some of the cost of, of groceries. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, once you get your dip netting license, which for those of you who don't know, dip netting is where you get like this enormous poop net and it's like a good solid, I think it's like four or five feet tall or something like that. And you walk mm -hmm. it out into the river as the salmon are swimming up and they just swim into the net. You flip it over and you literally just drag them back to shore. There is zero sportsmanship in it whatsoever. It's just brute strength out there wrestling this, this little salmon onto the bank. But the good thing about it is you can get 25 salmon per person and then an additional 10 salmon per people in your household. So um, do the math. Like you guys would be looking at about, what's that, 55 salmon technically you could put away. And that's going to be an entire freezer full of like you know, it is. quality Alaskan salmon. So um, that's that's one way that a lot of people will keep their expenses kind of lower. Absolutely. And something just so refreshing about knowing where your food comes from as well and knowing that it wasn't farm raised or having all of these preservatives and everything added like it is just so fresh and so good yeah absolutely so let's go and talk a little bit about the schools then um you know can you kind of talk a little bit about what your experience has been with um with the schools and the matsu so far yeah, the schools are great up here. You know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of public schools. I went to public schools growing up. Um, I'm a fan of public school. Um, the schools up here, they're a lot smaller than what I'm used to down in Utah, which is not a bad thing. You know, having that more one on one attention for your for your for your child is not a bad thing. The biggest struggle I think that schools are facing right now um, is that there are not enough teachers and there's um the schools up here they need bus drivers you know not everybody lives within a mile radius of the school and that's been a huge challenge for a lot of the schools and not only the valley but in anchorage as well um enough so i don't know if it's a combination between the lack of teachers and the lack of transportation to and from school that some of the schools have kind of talked about maybe having to go to a hybrid model because they just are lacking in resources this year specifically. Um, but other than that, I think, I think the schools up here are really good. You know, I think that it's a, it's a quality program. They're getting, they're getting good. They're getting a good education. There are private schools as well, but I, unfortunately I haven't looked into them to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, they, they do kind of start getting a little spendy, too. But they do. Yeah, I mean, I kind of speak a little bit to the, the um, bus driver shortage 
disaster we've had for the beginning of the beginning of the uh, the year here. Um, you know, I actually do have a friend that does teach in the system right now, and I mean, the shortage of bus drivers has really been kind of a concern. Um, the reason and why we got to that point, we can certainly talk about the politics behind that, but um, it definitely does present a big logistical issue, especially when we're right at the beginning of the year. Um, mm -hmm. I will say the local military, uh, I believe it was the Air Force, if I recall correctly, stepped up and said, hey, we have bus drivers. We are wanting to get back to the community, so we will you know, bus X amount of, of buses for a little bit to give you guys some time. So, you know, the community really does kind of kind of step up to the, to the plate when it matters. All right, let's go and take some questions real quick here. So let's see, imagine Horizon. My husband and I are considering making a move to the Anchorage area. We're um, looking for seclusion and peace. However, I do have several major medical issues. How is the healthcare system? Jill, this one sounds like this one's right up my alley. So <laughs> I am a nurse practitioner, um, but I do not work in the private sector. I was actually hired on to be a, a provider in the Department of Corrections. So we work with all sorts of healthcare systems for, but it's, it's a little bit different because it, it, we only offer essential health care within the prison system. However, I have been impressed from what I've seen. You know, we have a lot of inmates that end up with broken hands, feet, legs, arms, you know, they have injuries and not only caused by each other, but I feel like the orthopedic groups are, are really good up here. We've got quite a few inmates with cancer and they, they do get top quality cancer treatment. Um, and they don't even have to leave the Valley for that. You know, that's another thing. A lot of people would think that maybe you have to go all the way into Anchorage for a lot of these specialty, specialty care but you really don't there are quite a few specialty groups right here in the valley there is orthopedics there's ophthalmology there are cancer treatment um there's family practices there's urgent care there's a hospital i feel like it is a little bit different you know you don't have as many options as as maybe some of the lower 48 states but but the healthcare is here i mean if you're in the anchorage and and the matsu valley you know it really is a place where you where you will get the medical attention depending on what health care and uh, medical issues you have. Now that could be a little bit different. Endocrinology is one of those specialties that there is nobody in the Valley. If you have, if you have needs for endocrinology, you are going to be going into Anchorage um, as well as maybe some other, other specialties. You might have to go into Anchorage for that. And there might be a wait. Um, it really depends on what your major medical issues are. Um, we have had some some patients in in the prison system where they have these strange complex issues that nobody in the state of Alaska can address so they have to go down to Washington for their care that is very rare um but it is something that happens yeah i mean we do have most of the medical treatments up here but if you start having something very very specialized then you're probably going to have to go out of state but mm -hmm. 
that's really going to be true of just about anywhere you live with the exception of, you know, living in the, you know, the big population centers. That yeah. Are now. Um, let's go and look at this one real quick from Elisa. How often are there power outages in Wasilla? Is a backup generator a necessary household item? So, you know, I don't think these these outages are particularly common, especially not the one that they had in January. Um, you know, I I don't know, Jill. If you want to talk to that yeah. too, I don't think outages so are really that common. Yeah, in the year and a half I've been here, there's just been that one outage, um, and and those were terrible windstorms. I feel like there's been nothing close to that since then. Um, with that being said, I don't think that like a backup generator is necessarily a bad idea. You know, that's the other thing about being up in Alaska. You really do have to think a little bit differently because Alaska cold is different than Texas, Georgia cold. You know, if your power goes out even for less, you know, 24 hours in February, it's cold and you, and if you don't have a, a wood burning stove in your house, the only way to heat your house would be to have a generator to plug your furnace into. So I don't necessarily think you have to have one because the power really doesn't go out that, that frequently and that often, but it might not be a bad thing to have just in the off chance that it does. Yeah, I mean, really for me, looking at it, because this is something I actually bought the property out here in Wasilla, I'm going to be turning it into an Airbnb. And I was like, okay, just from an investment standpoint, I don't want to take the chance that something, you know, there's another windstorm, the power gets knocked out, and suddenly my pipes are freezing and my investment suddenly needs a lot of work and needs a lot more capital put into it. So um, what I did instead of investing in the generator, though, because those generators are solid $12,000, $15,000 or more investment to get it done. And even then, it'll power the house, but it's not going to be just indefinite. So instead of going with a generator, I decided to go with a wood stove. And mm -hmm. the thing about the wood stove, I mean, that thing can get piping hot and it keeps the whole house warm, perfectly fine all by itself. Like I was, uh, I was very skeptical of it at first cause I was like, eh, just a you know, little, little stove there. How big the difference is that gonna make? I'll just lob these logs in here and see what happens. And um, it increased the, the temperature of the house by about 10 degrees in the course of an hour. So yeah. <laughs> And it'll it'll do that. So generators are not a bad idea, but you know I think definitely a wood stove might be the the better option. You're not necessarily going to have electricity, but it sure as heck is going to be able to stay warm just fine. I 100% agree with you. I rent right now, and the house that I'm in does not have a wood stove, and so it's not my house. I can't really cut a hole in the wall and put in my own wood stove. But when I get my own house, that will absolutely be something that I will be be including is a wood stove and i'm telling you they're they are the way to go i was a little skeptical at first but i'm a believer now i'm gonna cut down every tree in sight <laughs> all right 
Quick comment from Shannon. Cost of food has not been an issue for me. I moved from Orlando, Florida, and I live in Eagle River. Don't notice any difference, honestly. Uh, That's what I agree with. Yeah, yeah. So another one from Thomas here. Are Alaskans welcoming outsiders or standoffish at first? Um, I can talk about this. It's probably going to sound best coming from you, though. Um. I don't feel like they're standoffish, but I also don't feel like they're super welcoming. I've, I feel like it depends on the community you're in. Um, when I came up here to work, a lot of the coworkers I have are actually outsiders that that have moved in. But there are quite a few Alaskans and, and they're willing and helpful. They're very, very kind. Um, kind of the running joke here in Alaska is if you're... If you're broken down on the side of the road, you might have 10 people stop to help you, but they won't invite you to your house or to their house afterwards for dinner. And and that's probably probably a good analogy. Like Alaskans are very friendly. They're very helpful. Like if you need something, but but they're a little more closed off to who they let on their inside circle. And, you know, it takes them some time to warm up and really, really let you into that friend group. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. It's a very transitory state. So most people are going to remember what it was like being the new person here. And most mm-hmm. people are going to be very willing to help. Um, but keep in mind, the reason you're wanting to come up here to get away from people and um, them, you know, the masses and all that, that's probably the reason most other people are moving up here. So um, they're usually not going to be the, the warm, bubbly, roll out the red carpet kind of crowd. But, you know, if things go sideways, then they're exactly the people you want to have in your corner. Absolutely. Um, that being said, though, you do definitely get some cranky old timers who have been here for 50 years. And, you know, because they're going to tell you within 10 seconds they've been here for 50 years and they for whatever reason, don't really like all the civilization catching up with them, which is crazy that about 630,000 population is too many people for them, but that is what it is. It is. Yeah. All right. Quick thing from Mr. Mango real quick. Food shopping at Costco and Walmart really helps the grocery bills. Walmart is my go-to place for canned goods, pasta, and smaller quantity items. That is good. Quick Quick word from Cody. Got orders to Jay Bear. Congratulations. And we'll be arriving in early April. It'll be uh, me and my spouse. We were a young couple in our 20s. Any tips? I'm definitely a big outdoorsman, so that's a plus. So the big thing when you're looking at coming up here is, you know, luckily the military is going to be taking care of most of your um, most of your um, most of the logistical aspects of it, of getting your stuff up here. So that's definitely going to be um kind of a um, big pro that you guys do have going for you. Um, Something else that I would say, though, um, you want to get out and actually enjoy as much of the state as you possibly can. I've seen a lot of military folks, they'll get up here and it's like they never leave the base. And don't get me wrong, they've got a lot of great on-base amenities and options. And uh, Clooney Lake, for instance, usually stays very well stocked. You've got lots of bears back there. Um, but it's one very small plate, very one very small part of the entire state. So you want to get out and enjoy as much of it as you possibly can. Now, as far as the logistical aspects of it goes, you know, really the the big thing you can do is 
Um, just consolidate down as much as you possibly can. The military will ship it, yes, but you know, it's, I'm not sure what shape it's going to be once it does get back. Um, so that's just one thing to really keep in mind. Um, also, keep a, keep a pretty close eye on your BAH if you are coming up here and that or basic housing allowance. Um, and uh, that's going to give you a pretty good idea for, for the area and how it really compares up against the, the place you're currently coming from. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead on that note then. Yeah, let's go ahead and move on and talk a little bit more about our, just a second here. Sorry guys, I'm having to learn this as I go along here. There we go. <laughs> uh, let's go and talk a little bit about the, the housing and the rental market real quick here. Because I know that not everybody is gonna be looking at, you know, not everyone is gonna want to, um, um, you know, buy a house immediately. That's perfectly fine. A lot of people kind of want to just get their, their feet under them at first. So let's go ahead and take a look and see what's going on with the rental market. And this is actually pretty interesting to me just because we have seen some, some movement lately. And let me go and cancel that real quick. I'm going to make sure that I don't show you guys a listing presentation that I just did. So let me close out of that. All right, coming at you in three, two, and huh, well, that's not it either. Oh, it just closed down. All right, well, you guys are gonna have to watch me. Watch me over here doing my best. There we go. Share the screen. There we go. Figuring this out step by step. So one article that I found very useful when we're kind of getting an idea for what's going on in the rental market here in kind of South Central Alaska and Alaska in general is going to be this article that came from the Alaska Economic Trends that came out just a little bit ago. And it's really solid because it's more, it's very numbers based. It's you know, comes from the state. So the, the sources of the data is usually going to be usually going to be pretty solid. Uh, once you start looking at the housing, I can I can definitely add some more insights to it. But by and large, it's pretty accurate. So title here of the article, higher rents, fewer vacancies. So that is definitely something that you see reflected in this article. Let me see if I can zoom in here a little bit so you can see the numbers a bit better. But rents are definitely going up in some areas um you know looking specifically here in anchorage the cost of renting back in 2021 was about uh, just shy of 1200 and now it's sitting at about uh, 1339 dollars which is about a 14 percent increase for the average you know for the um, average amount of renting in anchorage now you know, there are definitely reasons for that. And that's something I've been trying to figure out. It's like, well, how come, you know, the pandemic and everything that's happened, why would that result in higher rent? It's not like we suddenly just had, 
you know, miraculously more people up here, like looking at the data, we actually have um, losing a population of about 2000 a year recently. So, you know, why are we seeing this? Well, one of the reasons that they kind of point out is uh, the oil, the heating prices, because the cost of oil is going to be impacting everything. But the heating prices they dispel right off the bat is not the reason that we're seeing an increase here, because usually in Alaska, the price of heating is going to be covered by the tenant, unless you're renting out an entire house. But across the board, rent rose, rents rose in most areas, especially in Anchorage, as we talked before. Um, you know, Anchorage is sitting about 14%. The entire total is just over eight. We're looking at, if we're looking at the Matsu Valley, the rent is about 1,050 this time last year. It's gone up a little bit, but not too much. You know, it's just under $1,100 for the average, which means it's gone up approximately 4%. And you can obviously go down here and check out the rest of the, the rents here. But um, by and large, that's, you know, Anchorage is going to be the lion's share. Um, if you're looking at Ketchikan or Wrangell and St. Uh, Petersburg, or Petersburg, sorry, um, you actually see a decrease there. So there you go. If you're looking for a place where it's going to be less expensive compared to the year before, that's all you. So they kind of talk about that a little bit. Uh, let's see here. Trying to just give you guys the highlights. Yeah, so one thing that they also wanted to make sure that we knew in this article is Alaska, it's really just starting to go the way, follow the trend of the rest of the country. Because this is kind of the way the rents have been in, in the entire U.S. and this is Alaska, you know, past couple of years. It hasn't been, if you're a landlord, that's not great. And, you know, that's something you heard a lot of investors really, really worried about. Great if you're a tenant, not great if you're a landlord. But then, you know, this thing called the pandemic happened and then suddenly all of our rents started going up. And now it's just kind of keeping pace with what the rest of the U.S. is doing. So might be going up. Yes. But realistically, it's just kind of keeping pace with, with what we're seeing here. So why exactly are we seeing an increase in the rental prices? Well, a big theory that they have here is because the cost of housing is going up and people who would normally be going and trying to purchase their first property are, are suddenly having to wait. And they're having, instead of going and buying a house, they're having to find a rental property. And, you know, this is especially pertinent for, you know, kind of the younger age group where they might be moving out of the house for the first time from their parents. And, you know, they were planning on going and buying a house and now they're having to go rent instead. Um, let's see, evictions are another source of rental vacancies while the federal moratorium on evictions ended in August of 21, federal emergency rental. Yeah, Alaskans, Alaska has no publicly available eviction data, more than 26,000 renters, about three in 10 received a share of the 262 million in rental assistance distributed during the pandemic to help tenants pay back rents and utilities and offset future payments. So. You know, that's that's starting to go away a little bit, too. We haven't really seen a whole lot of uh, people not paying their rent up here. Um, you know, by and large, people were pretty good about continuing to pay their rent. You had a couple people that 
were kind of using the system, but by and large, people kind of stayed up with their rents. All right, so we kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, I'm going to try not to read everything here for you, but longer term demographic trends are another possible factor as the number of people in the and the age range most likely to rent has grown. So the tail end of the large millennial generation reached young, young adulthood during the past decade, raising the number of people between the ages of 30 and 40. In 2020, about 60% renters in the state were younger than 45. Nationally, this generation is also buying their first homes later than previous generations. So there's definitely some um, definitely going to be some some demographics that are going along with that construction. Obviously, that's kind of been a decline where we see the most people renting is going to be over in Anchorage. And the powers that be are making it a little bit more difficult to build, especially new, you know, multifamily properties. So um, that's definitely playing into it as well. And another fact that he brought up, which I found kind of interesting, is, you know, we are seeing some properties being transitioned over from just being strictly rental properties and being turned into short-term rentals, you know, AKA Airbnbs. And we're really not seeing a whole lot of data around that to know exactly how many of them are being converted. But you know, we do know that is definitely playing a factor in some places that are very tourist heavy, for instance, like in Seward, it's not that big of a town, but they have over 200 Airbnbs that are available. So, you can imagine how big of an impact that can have on your on your city. Not saying that, you know, you shouldn't have um, long term planning with your city and all that to make sure that 200 people going into an Airbnb is not going to make you go completely belly up. But, you know, it's it's definitely a lot to try to absorb all at once. So another big issue that's seen um, interest rates, or I'm sorry, the more the rental rates go up is there's just been less vacancies going on. Um, you know, if you're in a place right now and you're, you're somewhat happy, you're probably not wanting to jump back into the market to try to find something. And most um, landlords are perfectly fine keeping them, keeping a tenant where they're at, maybe with a slight increase, but as a landlord, for instance, like I have a fourplex of my own, every day one of those units is vacant, costs me $50. So the prospect of, you know, going, oh, well, great, I can get an extra $100 a month if I get somebody else in here, I am perfectly fine just increasing it slightly and keeping that person in there because a vacancy is going to be way more expensive than any increase I can do. All right, let's take a look real quick here. You know, by and large, we're seeing that you know rent is still affordable. It's still affordable on average, but it's not exactly the entire story. Let's see here. Yeah, rent really has gone up everywhere since 2020. Rising wages have made renting more affordable in all surveyed areas except Anchorage, where rent increases have outpaced average wage growth. But even with Anchorage's historic rent increase in 2022, it remained among the most affordable places surveyed. In 2022, renting in Anchorage required less than 25% of the average monthly paycheck, up from 21% in 2021, and in line with Anchorage's affordability for most of the paid past decade. Higher average wages in Anchorage help offset its higher rents in most areas. Rents required between 20. 
2 and 27% of the average wage uh, workers' monthly wages. And let's see here, the average, the U.S. Census Bureau estimates that historically about 40% of renters in Alaska have spent over 30% of their household income on rent and utilities. And yeah, the people are going to be younger here in this area as well. So that is a lot of numbers that I just kind of threw at you guys. And I'm, um, and I'm sure I probably lost some of you, but that's what we're seeing as far as the, the rental market here in the area. Um, Jill, can you speak a little bit, um, you know, what you've heard from people who are, who are trying to find rentals right now in this market? Yeah. So I don't know how I did it when I got up here, but I just kind of fell into the rental I'm in and it, hearing everybody else's story, it was really, really lucky. Um, it's very, very difficult to find a rental right now. Um, It, I, I just feel like there's not a lot of units available and it's hard to find places that are actually advertising those units as well. Um, most people that are moving up here are, are finding that if they don't have housing secured before they come up here, it's taking one to two months to find an available unit to rent. Um, the, the other thing that's challenging and this isn't this isn't unique to Alaska. Sometimes if you have pets, it's a little challenging finding finding a unit as well because not everybody wants to rent to somebody that has has a pet. Um, so along with that rise in the rental cost, Jim, and I think a lot of it has to do probably with the fact that landlords can can dictate what they charge for rent and they can be picky because there really aren't that many rental units to that are available. You know, it's just, it's a hard market. You know, it is, and I'm probably going to make a video specifically on this topic. So you guys are kind of getting the, um, kind of getting, I guess the, the VIP behind the scenes treatment here, but if you're looking and you're not really finding the options that you're you're trying to find on, you know, that you're trying to find, some of the best things you can do is probably to, number one, go and find some Airbnb options. Now, I'm not saying mm -hmm. go, you know, go stay in the Airbnb at the nightly rate that they have. No, what you're trying to do is you want to go find the runs of the litter on Airbnb. Now, these are the properties where they're, they're not rented very much. They only have one or two reviews. The pictures don't look great. Um, they obviously haven't gotten a whole lot of traffic. These are the folks where if you approach them and say, hey, um, how about um, how about I'll come in, I'll rent it from you for this amount, a bit of a discount from the monthly or the, the nightly rate, and I'll just be a tenant for a couple months or however long you need to be there. Um, there's a chance that they're going to be willing to willing to take you on there and no guarantees but you know like i said you really want to make sure you find the runt the litter the one that's not particularly performing very well on airbnb and that's going to be the one you're going to have your best chances on don't try this with the one that's got like over a hundred reviews and you know is booked solid for a month they're not even going to respond <laughs> um, another tip i would have for those of you who are looking at you know, finding a rental up here, 
Um, you know, Jill's 100% correct. If you don't have pets, that that definitely does help out quite a bit. Um, if you do have, you know, pets, obviously just kind of lean into it as best you can. Just be very upfront with them. Um, because I mean, you know, some landlords are not going to be too thrilled about having pets in their properties and some of them are going to be just fine with it. And they're out there. You just have to be really cognizant for what you're looking for. I found that a lot of Facebook groups are great places to go to try to, to try to get that attention and try to have a little bit more connection with the, the people that you're trying to trying to reach out to. Um, some of those groups, I mean, just go uh, look up on Facebook for, you know, look up on Facebook, um, anything involving rental, um, Alaska, real estate rental, stuff like that um, are going to be great resources for you. But, you know, like I said, I'm probably going to be doing a video and uh, talking more specifically about, um, yeah, I'm talking more specifically about places you can go, stuff you can use, strategies you can utilize in order to help you to, um, to find a rental up here. Um, but Jill, do you have anything else you'd like to add to that? I think that's a really interesting point. I think you're right with Facebook. Um, I think marketing is is a good thing up here. And word of mouth is also really big up here as well. Like if you can find groups that are either rental groups or, you know, looking for groups, something like that, um, and introduce yourself to people and let people know what you're looking for. Um, I think that that's a better way to find something as well. You know, I, I know of a lot of people that have had success that way where they're able to market a little bit more. The other thing with that is I, I'm sure this comes about from people getting burned in the past, but landlords want to know that you have a good rental history or that you have employment secured and, and things like that. They want to be, they want to feel comfortable with you renting their property that you're that you're going to leave it in a good in a good way, you know, that you're not going to completely destroy it. So and that especially goes for for if you have a pet or something like that. They want to know that you're going to take care of it. Exactly. I mean, one idea, too, might be to, like, take pictures of the property that you just vacated and say, hey, this is what it looks like. And this is how your property is going to look too. So, you know, if, you know, pets is really the, the big issue you're running into, that might be a strong option for you. So, you know, not every landlord's going to be the same way. Some of them couldn't care less. Some of them are going to care a lot. And you just have to, you just have to kind of understand who it is that you're talking to. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and go through. Yeah, let's go ahead and go through a couple of questions here. Uh, let's see here. People that moved, what did you bring and leave behind? We have a five-bedroom house. Feels like a massive chore to get all that stuff up there. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Um, I can tell you my experience with that. Um, so there were a lot of things that were left behind, um, but there were things that I was not willing to part with. Um certain things like dressers got rid of if it was an older mattress got rid of it um 
I kept my kitchen table because it was a birthday present and it is beautiful and I would not part with it. So I think a lot of it just depends on what you can and cannot part with. If you can part with something, if you don't have a strong emotional connection to it or it's not a family heirloom, sure, get rid of it because getting things up here can be expensive. Um I would not leave my motorcycle behind. You know, that was one of the things that it's like, I'm not parting with that. Could I have found one up here? Maybe, but I wasn't parting with it. So if you have something that you are strongly connected to, or, you know, it's, it's an item that you may not be able to find easily up here, I would say bring it. But if it's things that you're like, oh, you know, I got this second hand or it's older or we don't really need this, get rid of it. You know, it, it can be replaced. There are, there is Costco, there is Walmart, Amazon will ship certain things up here. Um, and so things can be replaced. But if it's something that you really, really, really want, bring it along. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, where I was, I was pretty lucky in my my stage of life where, you know, single guy, no kids. And I literally was able to consolidate it down to two checked bags and carry on. So um, that's probably about as streamlined as you can get. I do not suspect you'll be able to do that yourself. But, you know, if you guys can, like Jill said, consolidate down as best you can, because if you don't, you're going to find out pretty quickly why everything is so expensive up here. <laughs> It is. And it's not a cheap move, to be honest. Like, luckily, my work paid for a lot of the relocation costs. Um, I use the company U-Ship. Is that the one where you, like, get a storage unit container and you can ship it? We use that. And then we also ended up buying, like, a 45-foot enclosed trailer. And pretty much if it didn't fit in that little shipping bin and it didn't fit in the trailer, it didn't come. So there were things like dressers and beds that it's like, yeah, it's not going to make the trip. And, and that's okay. I got a new mattress out of it. There you go. There you go. Silver lining. Yeah. So let's see. We're going to just answer a couple more questions here. Um, let's see. I'm assuming this is talking about with Dave about, uh, let's see what kind of firearms you need for bears, yeah. you know, really the best thing that I've seen, and this is back and forth in a conversation I actually had on YouTube just a little bit ago, statistically, the best results from the bear encounter are when somebody has bear spray and instead of necessarily having a firearm. And the reason for that is if you have just a firearm, let's say it, things do go sideways, you can't avoid the bear, you can't the bear's not having it, then you have to use the firearm. Well, a bear can get shot and the adrenaline's going to be going and it can still do some damage. Meanwhile, if you have bear spray though, and you hit that thing right in the face, it's going to have some involuntary bodily responses that it can't avoid. And so yeah. statistically I saw it was about 72%, goes about 72% better uh, with those encounters when you have just bear spray versus just a gun. Just a firearm. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the best thing you can do is have both and just, you know, rely on the bear spray and, like, the gun, the firearm is, like, worst comes to worst case, though. 
obviously you've been up here a lot longer than me. I ask everybody like how often they've seen a bear. I've seen one bear up here and it was actually down on the Kenai Peninsula last year. We've been out here hunting moose and I haven't seen a bear yet. We've been walking. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't seen a lot of moose either. So apparently I am doing something wrong, but personally um, on my person, I pack a 44 Magnum revolver. Um, in camp just in case we have a 4570 lever action rifle um and i've heard a lot like a lot of people will like either a 40 caliber handgun or a 10 millimeter um to be honest any of those are going to be just fine for bears but if we're being realistic you are more likely to get trampled by a moose than you are to be attacked by a bear. The moose are much more aggressive and much more, um, they're much more likely to, you're much more likely to encounter a moose than you are to encounter a bear. Most of the time, if a bear sees you, they're going to run off the other way unless, you know, it's a mama and cubs, but the moose are quite aggressive. You are more likely to encounter a moose and you're more likely to, to have, an unfriendly encounter with a moose than you are a bear. Yep, absolutely. And that's something most people want to think about. So, um, I mean, I've, I've run into bears a number of times. Um, none of them have been like aggressive or, or, or anything close by any stretch of the imagination, but um, they're usually where you don't expect to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ran into one like while I was just running in the residential areas, Nickel River. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah, just running through the neighborhoods and, you know, boom. Oh, there's a black bear. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's that's probably a, something that needs to be mentioned. There are much, you're much more likely to see bears if you live in Eagle River for whatever reason. They're not out in the valley as much as they are in the Eagle River area. Yeah. Well, the reason for that is you've got that 50 square mile Chugach State Park. That's like oh, right yeah. there at the big state park where you can't really hunt them back there. And mm-hmm. so they, they just multiply back there like crazy because there's no way to to really control the population. Meanwhile, you know, Matt Sue, um, yeah, obviously not the case. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, definitely there. Um, you know what? I should probably avoid this question, but I'm going to I'm going to take it anyway, though. From Samuel, are there specific neighborhoods of Anchorage to aim for or avoid for renting? Um, I'm always going to tell you if it looks too good to be true, then it's probably too good to be true. So pay attention to the price. You know, once you've got kind of a sense for what the market rate is in Anchorage, and we've kind of talked about the averages, if you find something for like 500 bucks, that might be an indication that, um, it might be too good to be true, and you should look a little bit closer and look at the crime maps. Um, according to Fair mm-hmm. Housing, you're not really allowed to say good area, bad area, but you know I can kind of be the the source for you and kind of direct you where you need to go. Um, let's see. Other than that, you know, one other thing I did want to mention real quick. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people online, and I've got a lot of data on this, but you know, I know. Most people don't get as excited about going over numbers as I do. So I'll just summarize. Um, a lot of people are talking about, oh, foreclosures, they're coming back. They're coming back. And this is going to be the next big wave. And we're going to wait to get a discount. And com- couldn't be further from the truth. 
uh, especially up here in Alaska. So a couple of years ago, before the pandemic, there was about 260 foreclosed properties that were purchased. There was about 240 that were purchased the next year. Then it was 150. And this year it's like 64. Okay. And the total number of foreclosures available in the entire state right now is 10. That's it. So foreclosures only really happen when you see a collapse in the prices for people that have been in trouble lately. You really can't tell just because they're just because the market is so strong and they're able to put their property on the market and get it sold. And you never knew they were in any kind of trouble just because the market was so strong and you needed to buy something as soon as possible. So um, kind of this, this idea that this big collapse is going to be happening. Obviously I can always be wrong. No one's crystal ball is a hundred percent. Not really seeing it in the near future for there to be any kind of a collapse. We need to see a, a drop in the prices. And while the inventory remains so low, um, that's not likely to happen anytime soon. All right, let's see here. Jill, you down to take a couple more questions? Absolutely. Okay, let's see here. Let's see. Let's see, folks, you got any other questions here? I'm trying to go through, kind of cull through here. Yeah, so one question I did see from earlier, though. Uh, let's see, someone. There we go. Let's go with this one. Doctor of Dragon Studies, like the title, like the name. So how is the job market right now specifically for industrial jobs? Um, so when you say industrial jobs, I'm assuming you're talking more <laughs> factory based? Are we talking more construction? Let's see. So if we're talking more about that, I mean, really, it's not a specific industry, but it's more about more about the hard labor skills you'll be able to take from one job and take it to the other. You know, I kind of talked about it before in some other videos. Um, but really, the big thing is if you have kind of those hard skills, you'll be able to transfer those over into other positions that are actually pretty lucrative right at the moment. Um, for instance, there are HVAC companies where they are literally bringing people in, uh, bringing people in from um, out of state just because they can't find anyone to, to work on their HVAC, on the heating, the water heaters, the boilers. So you know, if you're skilled in that area, then you know that's definitely a, a strong option for you to come up here and, and work in that. Um, let's see. But yeah, as far as factory... Yeah. Okay. So factory or skilled labor. If you're skilled labor, you probably do pretty good up here. Does that sound about right, Jill? I think so. I mean, honestly, if you've got certifications and you have job experience, then I think you can do probably well, well wherever you go. Um, I find that Indeed is probably a really good place to look for jobs. Um, I feel like most companies that are looking for skilled laborers will also, they will advertise on Indeed. Outstanding. Okay, my battery, it looks like it is just about to die here. I'm gonna give you guys the quick announcement. So thanks for sitting through the, the live stream and it's been a lot of great stuff. Um, 
you know, lots of great stuff here. I want to let you guys know I am, did go create a private Facebook group for those of you who are looking at moving up here because I'm very aware that we have a lot of people that are you know, looking at moving up here and they're getting information. There's not really a sense of community, though. And I want that for you guys as you're looking to move up here because I know it's very disorienting when you're moving somewhere and you want to have that sense of community built in before you get here. So I created a Facebook group. It is private. You cannot find it unless you get the, the link. I'm going to go ahead and post that in the comments section right now. And how it works is it's going to be the first 20 people that can get to it, you know, get in and can get approved. Um, that's not, that wasn't me. Facebook decided to do that. As soon as we fill up in our, our top 20 people, I'm going to go ahead and send out another link um, on this live stream in the comments section later on here. And this is going to be really good because you can get information from other people going through the same process that you are. You can give tips. You can ask for advice for, from people who are doing the same thing. And then there's also going to be a social component to it. So I'll be going on there and saying, hey, I'm going to go hiking at this place at this time. If you're in the area, feel free to, to drop by. Let's and yeah, we'll go for a hike together. You know, like I said, really the goal here is to give information, then also to create a, a sense of community for those of you who are who are moving up here and going through this big life transition. But um, yeah, other than that, that's uh, I think that's about all the battery life that I have right this moment. So, um, Jill, do you have any final thoughts or, or comments before no. we try? No, that sounds awesome, too, with the Facebook group. I mean, it is nice to have a sense of community, especially like when you are the outsider and you're trying to learn things. I think that sounds like an awesome idea. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, folks, um, again, thanks for thanks for joining. And uh, if you want to see more live streams like this in the future, certainly, by all means, keep, um, you know, make sure that you're uh, asking those questions and. I uh, really struggle with the dismount on these interviews and these uh, these live streams. So thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.